Good morning, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I welcome you to this day of worship, Sabbath, and celebration. As we edge ever more into the fall, we are reminded again that this is God's world, and for that, we give thanks. So I invite you to join us as we celebrate and worship today our God of joy, grace, and love. Come on in. Our first lesson comes from Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Since he himself is subject to weakness, this is why he is to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus Christ's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Some though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from Mark's Gospel. We're in chapter 10, and I'll tell you some more about that in a minute. Uh, these, I believe, are familiar words, so I invite you to open your ears and listen with fresh ears, with fresh eyes, to see how God is speaking to us today. Mark 10, 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, um, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with a baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, 
And with baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten, the rest of the disciples, heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become the great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for you Star Wars geeks like myself, I think I was 10 when the first round of Star Wars movies, George Lucas's fictional world of space, all those characters and events that have become kind of cultural norms and understandings, There is one scene I would like to lift up. So in The Empire Strikes Back, which depending on how you look at it, it's either the second original one um, or the fifth one uh, after the prequels have come into play. Luke Skywalker, our young character, one of our main heroes, is still a young kid. He wants to become a Jedi great defender of the universe that deals in this mystical created energy force called the force. Hmm, Holy Spirit much, George Lucas? I think so. So he's seeking the Jedi master, Yoda. He's not seen him before. We know sweet little cute green little hairy-eared Yoda, but Luke doesn't know him yet. And so he seeks him, he's crashed into Dagobah, his planet, in the swamp, and he finds this little green creature that we know to be Yoda, but he doesn't know it yet. So this little creature takes him into his house, and it's gross, there's snakes around, it's kind of nasty, and he keeps asking him, how long till you think we can find Yoda? How long is he far away? Is he close by? And he keeps pushing and he keeps talking. And then Yoda kind of turns to no one and starts speaking. Um, I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me. It won't be exactly correct. He says, I cannot teach him. And the disembodied voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, another one of his mentors from the last movie, says, was I any different when you taught me? And then Luke Skywalker realizes, he said, you're Yoda? Hmm. I am Yoda, I am. Teach me, I want to be a Jedi. And they go through this conversation about why Yoda doesn't want to teach him. And then finally... Toward the end of this, he's too young. He's too young. I can't teach him, but I've learned so much already. And he says, it's okay. I'm not afraid. Luke Skywalker says, I'm not afraid. In Yoda, in the one moment 
where Yoda is scary and creepy, loses all expression in his face. Luke Skywalker says, I'm, it's okay, I'm not afraid. He kind of leans into him and with a little toothless, weird, creepy face says, you will be, you will be afraid. Now, obviously they go on, but connections to this story today, you have James and John in the role of the Jedi or vice versa. You have Jesus as the master who is just bringing them into this new understanding of what being a disciple means and what this new world is going to be like. James and John, we know, they were the second pair to be called. Um, Peter and Andrew were first fishermen, and James and John also. Uh, brothers, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. And so they pulled Jesus to the side, and they say, hey, um, will you do something for us no matter what we ask you to do? How many children have gone to their parents with the same request? Did you say, well, sure, whatever you want, I am glad to give it to you? Well, of course not. You respond as Jesus did. He says, well, what do you want? And they said, we want to be on your right and your left hand in glory. That kind of afterlife, wherever we're headed, that's where we want to be. We want these two positions of power. So are they conceited? Are they vain? Are they impetuous? There's a couple of ways to look. Yes, they are seeking glory. They want the primo positions. And remember, at this point, there's 10 other disciples that they don't know that they've kind of walked out on and said, we want to be your favorite. Then that's why they get mad when they find out the rest of them. But it could also be that they fully understand what they're getting ready to be into, what Jesus is going to require of them, but they want to make sure that it's worth it on the other side. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they just don't get it. A nice theme that disciples through the Gospels often don't get it. They didn't have what we have, and often we don't get it. So we can't be too hard on them. But think about the disciples. We're in chapter 10 of Mark. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, we have the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So all of those events that surround our Easter, Jesus coming to Jerusalem for the last time, the Last Supper, Garden of Gethsemane being betrayed, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all that is getting ready to happen. These are the last moments before Jesus will end his earthly life. And these disciples have seen some pretty amazing things. They saw Jesus being baptized and the Spirit come down. They saw the, the, the sea quieted and peace came about at Jesus' word. They fed the 5,000. Jesus healed several people. They have seen amazing things. But do they understand the price that Christ is asking them to pay? That we don't know.
But Jesus responds and says, you don't know what you're asking. You will be. For you have to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized into my baptism the way you were baptized on the day I was baptized. You'll be baptized too and all that baptism. Those two allusions to our two sacraments, the cup can lead us forward to communion. Baptism can lead us back to where Jesus has come as his foundation of faith. Now remember, they've not had the Last Supper yet. Jesus hasn't gone into Jerusalem for the last time. So for them, the cup is not yet what we hear it as being. And if you remember at the Garden of Gethsemane on that Thursday night after dinner, before he gets betrayed and arrested, he prays that God would take this cup from him. This is the cup he's talking about. The cup of sacrifice, the cup of serving, the end of this human life that will be very difficult for Jesus. But after he says, Lord, if there's a way, another way, let it be, but not my will, but yours be done. The prayer that we need, the prayer that we need to say every day when we wake up, Lord, today, not my will, but yours be done. So we too are being called into this time by Christ to look at the way that we sacrifice for our faith, for Christ, for God, who has done everything for us, who has given us these lives, who has given us a Messiah, the gifts of grace, joy, peace, hope, love, all of those things. What is required? That we pick up our cross and walk. Christ is saying, you will drink from this cup, knowing that they will pay dearly for following him. They said, you will be baptized into the same baptism for which I was baptized. So it, it's that common phrase, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. And in this case, we know that will be the case. So the question is, what are we being called to sacrifice? To be truly faithful, do we have to give our physical lives as a martyr? It's interesting that uh, our Celtic friends, uh, specifically in Ireland, they were not persecuted for their faith, and so they had come up with several different grades of martyrdom. There is red, which of course symbolizes those who give their, their life, their blood, in following Christ. But they had two others. They had green and they had white. They were less severe, but yet still called for sacrifice. Maybe the sacrifice was to leave your home, disconnect, and go be a missionary in the world. Maybe it was the fact that you go out every day and you are called to live your faith and spread the word of Christ in the ways that you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. All of us are called to sacrifice for the God who sacrificed all for us. The question is how we do that and in what ways. And my hope is that we will not be martyrs, red martyrs, 
but that we see ourselves as sacrificing for the God who has given everything for us. Okay, well, what, what does that look like? The second part, Christ tells us. At the end of the passage, he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. So we lapse into this understanding of servanthood as the way of faith. We see Isaiah 53 looking ahead to the suffering servant as what Jesus will come to do. And we are called to be those servants. And Jesus is reminding these two. It's not the positions of power that you need to be seeking. It is to be a servant and serve those whom God has placed in your path. But that puts our systems of power in jeopardy. It looks at the world and says, you know what? What's successful is not successful to Christ. Amassing power and wealth and comfort and security in all those ways are not what we're being called to do. We are being called to be faithful and servant leaders, each one of us. Tripp was baptized being a servant leader, as we all have and we all are. And Christ tells us again and again and again that the way to love God is to serve others, not seek our worldly possessions and power structures, because too many people pay the price, whereas here... We give ourselves for others. During the American Revolution, there was a man on a horse that walked by a group of soldiers building a, a wall, a divider, a barrier. And there was one, their leader there was yelling at them but not helping them. And this stranger in civilian clothes says, um, how come you're not helping them? And this man says, well, I'm a corporal and they're privates. This is their work to do. And he says, okay, I, I got it. He gets off his horse and he helps these guys finish this piece of this wall, this divider. And then he speaks to the corporal and says, corporal, if you ever get in trouble again and you don't have enough men to finish the job, then you can call your commander-in-chief and I will be happy to come back and help you again. And George Washington got on his horse and rode away. That understanding of servant leadership, think about what Washington could have done. Would he wanted to have amassed power? He could have been the king. He could have been an emperor. All of what we were trying to get away from as we were starting our new America. And we are called to that same humility not a passive faith, but an active one. And the way that we find that end glory, as John was looking, James and John, we have to think about the way to get there. Uh, Augustine, who we know was uh, a bishop in um, Africa, 
about this passage says, why do you seek the homeland if you are not seeking the way to it? It's an interesting question. We all want this eternal life in the next world. We all want to be with Christ now. Why do you seek those goals without devising a way to it? Think about anything meaningful in your life. Did you snap your fingers and it happened? I want to be a lawyer, and boom, you're a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. Well, of course not. I want to be skinny. And so, bam, you're skinny. Oh, of course not. We set these goals for ourselves, and then we work back to how we achieve those goals. It is hard work. There are no magic solutions for most of this. Whether that's a family, those are organizations that we work in. We work hard to get to those places we want. But often we leave our faith out of that. We just see the end point and hope we're doing enough. We roll the dice instead of... I want to live my life in response to what Christ has done. And so today, I'm going to do this. Next week, I'm going to do that. Here's opportunities at church, but I want to be in the community. There are people that need to be served, and we are the ones who are being called. So let us follow today Tripp's example of baptism. Let us see that we too are starting a new chapter of our spiritual journey. Wherever you are on it is the right place. But let's let God lead us. Let's not seek our own positions of power and comfort, but rather say to God, God, transform me through the service of others. Because we all know when we serve others, we often feel like we are the ones who have benefited from that time, those sacrifices made to help those other people. Why are we here? Why do we exist? Baptism tells us and calls us. So look where you can appropriately sacrifice in your life and serve others. This is our calling today. Let's all go and start fresh freshly baptized in Christ's new world. Hallelujah. Amen.